It's Tuesday, September 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hale. With me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you. Howdy. We've got some video streaming news. Uh, we are going to talk about basket investing. Uh, so folks are going to want to take some notes on that. Um, but we're going to start with the automotive world, specifically AutoZone, which wrapped up its fiscal year in style. Fourth quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected for AutoZone. Do I have this number right? Same store sales up nearly 22%? <laughs> yes. I think I have that right. <laughs> you do have that right. And here's another fun fact for you. Actually, AutoZone enjoyed its largest quarterly same-store sales performance since going public in 1991. That 22% was the greatest quarter they have recorded as a publicly traded company. So, I mean, listen, that that is... Not, all kidding aside, that is monumental. I mean, that's a great that's a great achievement given the situation. Um, it's 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 at least a little bit understandable. But but yeah, there you go. Great quarter indeed. You and I, uh, w- whenever we talk about housing, um, at some point, I feel like we get around to the idea of for investors who are looking at the housing industry, which is a large industry. Uh, a lot of times, you and I will sort of land on, hey, one way, if you're just starting out, one way to play the housing industry is not to go to the home builders. It's to go to home improvement. Yeah, That gives you exposure to the housing industry. Um, it's a little bit safer, a little bit more predictable in some ways. And let's face it, Home Depot and Lowe's are, are two very rock steady performers, certainly have been over the past decade. I kind of feel like this is the automotive version of that. That auto zone, when you step back and look at it, for people who look at the automotive industry and want some exposure, historically, I mean, auto zone has been a phenomenal place to invest. I, yeah, I tend to agree. I, I think that, you know, when, when you look at all things together, um, you know, you go you go to an auto dealership and you buy a car once, but typically, I mean, people are trying to hang on to that car for as long as they can, and there's a lot of stuff that comes with that through the years, and and that's why uh, your companies like AutoZone and O'Reilly are are great opportunities there. And and I mean, when you look at the quarter here for AutoZone, it it was really strong across the board. I mean, if you exclude sales from the additional week. That was included in last year's quarter. Sales were up 21.2% for the quarter. And if you if you look at the profitability there, this was really impressive. Net income up 41.2%. Earnings per share up 47.6%. And so what this all was from was ultimately traffic, right? I mean, much like much like restaurants, I mean, AutoZone is, is a store, right? There's a lot of fixed costs involved in, in keeping that store open and staffed. So, then transactions and traffic become, uh, you know, more and more important. I mean, that that's the way that you can really leverage that that expense structure there. And expenses were up around 10% for, for the quarter due to, due to COVID-19 and, and just, you know, general pandemic economy that we're dealing with. But but clearly, I mean, traffic and transactions were very strong. Helped them uh, really bring a lot of that a lot of that sales growth down to the bottom line. Uh, inventory in check, only up three point six percent for the quarter. So you know they're not loaded down with a bunch of stuff that's not selling. Margins are keeping in check. Um, I, I don't know that I would call this an essential business, but it's pretty darn close. And when you look at this space. AutoZone and O'Reilly are the clear leaders, and and I think you know AutoZone just proved that again this quarter. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that Quibi is already exploring strategic alternatives. Uh, Quibi is the uh, short-form 
mobile focused video service. It launched in April, uh, much ballyhooed, due in no small part uh, to the leaders of the company, Meg Whitman and Jeffrey Katzenberg. Uh, and I'll just read directly from the journal story, Jason. <laughs> Quibi is also considering raising more money or going public through a merger with a special purpose acquisition company or SPAC, essentially a blank check company that helps fund deals. Uh, Quibi is working with advisors to review its options. Holy cow. (laughs) First of all, to paraphrase Ron Burgundy, this really escalated quickly. I mean, this, this, this got worse for Quibi faster than I thought it was going to. Um, and the idea, look, I, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. And if you're trying to raise money, of course, you would consider something like a SPAC or some sort of public option. For investors, I, I, I can't think of a public company I would want to run away from faster than this. Yeah, I, I think that this is one of those red flags that we talk about. And if you can hear my dog in the background, I apologize for that. No, but- no, I, I feel like it's your dog agreeing. Well, that, 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 excellent, well played, man. You, that's that's you're a professional, man. That's why. Um, listen, I I do think with Quibi, it's one of those things where you have to actually look at. The very, very first thing I think about when I think of Quibi is the biggest problem. I don't think anybody really knows what Quibi is, including Katzenberg. I mean, and I don't mean that to be funny. I mean, I really wonder if they have a, a if, if they know what they are. What's the identity? I mean, is it social? Is it streaming? Is it social streaming? What void is it trying to fill? And I mean, that that just that it's not clear. I mean, much like the meaning of life, I just I, I don't have an answer for you. And, and I think that really is the biggest problem. And you know, much like in investing, it really it's a great quality to be able to just call it, admit the mistake, and move on, or else or else you just keep on burning money. And it feels like in this case that would probably be the right call. It it, it seems like to me there is no real light at the end of the tunnel here. I mean, does the world care if this shuts down or doesn't exist? I don't think it does. And I think most people don't really know fully what it is. And furthermore, I don't think people are going to pay for it, even if they do. And, And so, I mean, they've got problems on multiple fronts. And I do want to jump back to last week's show and uh, an email that we got that, that a listener sent because we were talking about Paramount Plus. And, and I, I just have to read this because it really does strike me as, as you know one of the challenges that Quibi's dealing with. The email said, Howdy, quick note on today's show and Jason's comments on too many streaming platforms. When my teenage son saw Parks and Rec, which he watches religiously, is moving from Netflix to Peacock, he just threw up his hands and said he refuses to watch this on another app. So when your teenage target demographic that already blindly uses dozens of apps for texting, social media, gaming, and streaming is getting frustrated, you are in trouble. Thanks again. Love the show. Mike from Ohio. And Mike from Ohio, I hope you don't have a problem with me reading your email on on the air, but it was so spot on. And, And I think this is one of the primary challenges that Quibi is dealing with and that will ultimately be, uh, that will ultimately contribute to Quibi's demise. It's just, Teenagers, adult, nobody needs this thing. It, it sounds like nobody wants this thing. So it sounds like it might be time to go ahead and just put it out to pasture. Yeah, I remember months ago uh, talking to uh, my oldest, who's in college, 
because I just thought, you know what? Maybe this is just one of those things. I, it's it's not aimed for me. It's aimed at younger people. And I checked with her. She was basically like, yeah, no, no, I'm I, I'm I'm not watching this. None of my friends are watching this. And I just thought, okay, it's uh, it's pretty bad. You know, the 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 one thing I think to watch from here is because part of the whole strategic alternative thing is going to other companies. And that's part of this journal story as well. Going to Google, going to Amazon, Apple, Comcast, going to Disney. Uh, I mean, just as a shareholder of Disney and Amazon, I'm, I don't see the appeal. I, like, I see, you know, even if even if it's uh, at a deep discount, I just I don't see what you're getting. There are other things we've talked about over the years where tech company is in trouble. Could someone buy them? And if so, what would they get for them? And in some cases, you can look at troubled tech companies and say, you know what? There's some intellectual property there. There's yeah. some patents there. There's an audience there. They've got forty million people on an email list or customers or subscribers. I I don't see any of that with I, I I don't either. I'm right there with you. I don't see any of it and frankly like uh, you know, if a company decided to jump in there and in um, make an acquisition, e- even if it's just for pennies on the dollar. I I would hold that against them, I, because it means either you know management is just trying to do him a favor, you know, and throw him a bone, or or management really is just you know out of touch. I mean, like you, I've got a I've got a freshman and a, a sophomore in high school here. I mean, they don't they don't watch it, they don't know about it, they don't. I mean, no one knows anything about it, and and so I think that you know all things. Considered, I mean, I just don't understand. I don't understand the future there. I don't understand how even going public is a conversation because I don't understand who would want any piece of this. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're wrong. I mean, maybe there is something there that that will that will uh, you know come to light at some point. I, I'm doubtful though, personally. And I mean, I feel like if this is an acquisition, I mean, that just immediately. Like the entire thing is is goodwill, and the entire thing gets written off in the course of a year or two. So yeah, I, I just it would be something I would hold against a, a company if they decided to jump in there and try to save it. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool dot com. Email from Stephen McRae who writes: I've been listening for a long time, huge fan. I've learned a lot, and it's not an understatement to say that my investing strategy and methodology has benefited greatly from listening to multiple Motley Fool podcasts and subscribing to your stock advisor service and your rule breaker service. I am familiar with the war on cash basket. What are the other baskets Jason Moser has previously (laughs) spoken about and what stocks are in those baskets? Uh, Uh, For those unfamiliar, the war on cash basket started on this show uh, about three plus years ago, equal portions of Square, PayPal, Visa, and MasterCard. And yeah, the the market's getting it's it's just getting destroyed by that basket. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was I was trying to think earlier today. Well, you and I were going back and forth. There was so every Friday morning before Motley Fool Money, we have a production meeting where we're trying to figure out what stories we're going to talk about on Motley Fool Money that week. And I I, I was trying to remember a a meeting because you know the meeting 
we get stuff done in the meeting, but we also sort of goof around uh, as, as happens from time to time. And uh, I just remember there was a meeting earlier this year where we just got on this tangent and we, I think we were making fun of Ron Gross because Ron, Ron was being sort of like lazy talking about like, I don't want to leave my, you know. And, and so I th- we were trying to come up with like a Ron Gross trapped in his home. Uh, basket. Oh, yeah. It was like Domino's the convenience pizza. basket. The it was, convenience it was, basket. Yeah, there was a convenience. It was. It was. <laughs> it wasn't it was. so much. It, yeah, it was. It was all about. It was all about convenience for Ron's life. And I was like, oh, Domino's <laughs> pizza would go in that basket. Absolutely. Netflix would go in that basket. So anyway, on a more serious note, um, you have talked about the health and wellness basket. I have, yeah. I mean that that you know the, the, the fun thing about these baskets is, I mean, you can come up with baskets for pretty much anything, and the entire concept is just to, to come up with something where you're chasing what looks to be a large and growing market opportunity. And, and, and you know, in the case of the war on cash, I mean that you know it was very clear well before. I mean the pandemic. I mean this this basket was established back in in July of 2017. So. Um, it, it, you know, it, it was just based on this idea that people are using less cash and, and using their cards and electronic payments more. And I mean, that's that's not a, an opinion. I mean, that's just a fact. So, you know, I put the the basket together with Mastercard, Visa, PayPal, Square. As you said, it's destroyed the market since inception. It's up two hundred thirty five percent to the markets, uh, like thirty three percent. And so that's worked out very well. All four companies are outperforming the market. I own all four companies personally, intend on holding them for long, uh, long after uh, we stop talking about it. And uh, the the healthcare and wealthcare basket was one that I put together. I think I actually might have put that together initially for a an event that we had at one point um, but but it just became so clear to me that I mean healthcare was this this market opportunity where it's it's so massive and there's so much opportunity and yet you know oftentimes we try to focus on picking the winner in the space and and many times and more often than not, really, there's more than one winner, right? And so, I mean, healthcare was one of the ways that uh, was one of the ways to look at that. And so, in uh, February of 2018, I put together the healthcare and wealthcare basket, and that consists of United Health Group, Teladoc Health, Massimo, and then a little bit of a different healthcare company, different kind of healthcare company, IDEX Laboratories. And IDEX focuses on on pets, right? And and as you heard my dog barking earlier, I think that's just because he was so happy he came back from the vet's office with a clean bill of health. Let's just say that. And, and my vet uses IDEX stuff all the time. They love it. So, I put all four of those together very much like the, the war on cash. That basket is also performing very well, up 205% versus the market's 26%. All four components are outperforming the market as well. Um, I actually actually own three of the four. I don't own United Health, uh, but but I do own the others. And and so that basket has performed very well too. And and then another one that I put together earlier this year, and I really put this basket together because I was so interested in finally starting a position in Adobe at the time in March when the bear market hit that was the the top stock on my list that was the one I, I wanted to buy and, and get a position set and once that thing started getting getting peppered uh, during during the bear market uh, you know I, I started building that position out but the this is the triple a basket and and this is based on software companies but it's with a twist Chris software companies that actually make money I mean whoa, I know whoa, it sounds whoa. I know whoa. I know 
Step back for a second. Think about that. Let it process. So Software. you're saying these are companies that are actually churning what we like to call, and I'll put this in air quotes, a profit? <laughs> yes. Gap and non-gap. I mean, you get the total package here. So uh, the AAA basket I put together back in early March, and that is Adobe, um, another name that, that probably a lot of folks aren't very familiar with, Ansys. And, uh, and another one, Autodesk. And these are companies that I follow and have recommended in services here uh, at, at work. Uh, but these are all software companies that have a very uh, specific focus in, in, in their digital niche, so to speak. And, and do they're, they're, they're really just well-performing names that just kind of keep on chugging along. And since March, I mean, that, that basket has performed very well. It's up 35% to the market's 10.5%. Uh, again, all four comp- or all three companies outperforming the market, and, and I do own all three of those as well. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the fun part about the basket strategy is that anybody can do it. You can put together your own basket pursuing whatever market opportunity you believe in. And, and it's, it's really just about finding that great market opportunity and then not worrying about picking one winner, finding a few, because it, it's very possible that some of these some of these ideas don't work out. But that's the idea behind the basket. You get a little diversification. Uh, it helps protect you against any of those losers that inevitably will come. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to follow. It gives us stuff to talk about all the time on these shows, and, and people seem to enjoy them. And, and I, I've certainly enjoyed talking about them, and I've enjoyed uh, watching my portfolio grow because of them. Well, and I know from talking to you over the years that and this gets to the mindset, your mindset is about the basket. Like, yes, of course, you would love it if all four within the basket were beating the market. But every time we talk, whether we're you know talking to each other uh, on market foolery or just passing each other in the hallway back when we actually were working in the same building, <laughs> um, you would always talk about it in terms of, well, this is what the basket is doing. Not yeah. so much in terms of the individual stock. So, uh, uh, one more reason to like that approach. So, um, uh, Stephen, yeah. thank you for the email. And, uh, yeah. and, and I mean, to your point there, it, it is very easy to get focused on one uh, company, whether it's winning by a large margin or losing by a large margin. I'll use the healthcare basket as an example. I mean, Teladoc Health, since inception, I mean, the stock in the basket is up 516%. I mean that's tremendous. In in then you look at Massimo that is up just you know only 158% in in Idex which is only up 110%. I mean it really you start to realize man those companies have performed very well. Teladoc has been a little bit of an outlier, but that's okay. You're going to have outliers to the upside, you're going to have outliers to the downside. And again like you said the point of the basket is the basket. It it you know you you love to see all of the success but it also protects you uh, from from those potential losses as well. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and pets may too, for all we know. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.